The banners above us flap violently in the gusting wind. In the momentary lapses, the fabric droops until a resounding whap, whap, whap pulls the flags taut again in the howling wind. Even so, the dust still hangs in the air, not near us, but across the field where an approaching enemy army has halted. It's King Jabin's army, by the looks of it, led by the proud commander Sisera, who's jeering at the forefront. You turn your eyes away from the enemy army before you. You cock your head to the right and look over the rows and rows of your troops, over the tips of their spears, and you wonder, where is she? She said she would be here, but she's nowhere to be found. Your eyes return to the enemy army before you, and the view is just blinding. 900 iron chariots illuminated by the sun. And behind this vast sea of war machines, rows upon rows upon rows, multitudes of soldiers armed to the teeth. You even voice the words, where is she? She said she would be here, but she's nowhere to be found. Your stomach, it churns and rolls over with anxiety. The horse beneath you shifts impatiently. Your hands, they squeeze on the reins, producing tiny beads of sweat that sop the leather lines. Your feet press up. On the stirrups, you stand up in the saddle, you, you scan an entire 360 degrees, and you panic. Where is she? She said she would be here, but, but she's nowhere to be found. And then comes the stench of sweat and vomit. Your troops are, are just as terrified as you, their brave commander. You can almost hear the sound of their knees buckling, their teeth chattering with nerves. Where is she? She said she would be here, but she's nowhere to be found. After Ehud had died, the Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil. So the Lord gave them over to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, and he was stationed in Herosheth Hagoim. The Israelites cried out to the Lord because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. You see, this is a time before the monarchy, before the kingship in ancient Israel, when Israel was associated loosely in a collection of tribes called the tribal confederacy. 
This is after Moses. This is after the the wandering in the wilderness. This is after the conquest of Joshua and the entering into the promised land. The people are in the promised land, but they have no king. Instead, they are led by a number of judges over the course of history. But unfortunately, during this time, the people are caught up in a cycle. A cycle commonly referred to as the cycle of... Of judges. And here's this unfortunate judges cycle. The people were faithful and there would be a period of peace. But then they'd compromise and indulge in sin. Often it was some form of idolatry. And then they would be oppressed as God would send a foreign oppressor to occupy a part of the land. But then when the people finally came to their senses, they'd repent. And they turn back to God. They'd then be delivered as God would raise up a judge who would rescue the people, deliver them from their enemies. And then it's back to being faithful in a new period of peace. So let's plug our text into this cycle to see it in action. Let's back it up to Judges chapter 3, verses 30 through 31, and the faithful period of peace. Moab was brought down by the power of Israel on that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. After Ehud, Shamgar, Anath's son, struck down 600 Philistines with an animal prod. That's like an ox goad. He too rescued Israel, but then in chapter 4, verse 1, there's compromise and indulgence in sin. After Ehud had died, the Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil. So in chapter 4, verse 2a, they were oppressed. So the Lord gave them over to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. But then the people repent, as it says in verse 3. The Israelites cried out to the Lord because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. Now the next step in the cycle is that they are supposed to be delivered, that God would raise up a faithful judge to rescue them from their enemies. He does. And her name is Deborah, and Deborah is brave. Today, we actually conclude our Brave Sermon series. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at women of the Bible. And you know, women in the Bible, they aren't just minor characters in a man's story. They aren't just examples of how to be good wives or good mothers or good sisters or good daughters. No, their stories are, are fierce and funny and demanding and messy and challenging over the course of This sermon series, we've looked at the women of Egypt, we've looked at the daughters of Zelophadad, the Syrophoenician woman, and then last week, Jeff talked about Esther. Well, today we continue with the challenging and messy story of the brave judge, Deborah. So if you're able to stand, why don't you stand with me as we read from our memory verse for this sermon series. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. As the Lord speaks to Joshua, he says, I've commanded you to be brave and strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being near to us, guiding us, strengthening us. Because God, we're nothing without you. 
I pray you would reveal stuff in our lives that needs to change or that you would confirm things in our lives that need to stay. But God, that we would honor you today. And then beyond today, and then beyond and beyond, Lord. Because you are the eternal God who is due all honor and glory. And we want to love you with our whole selves. It's all about you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few months ago, I taught my wife how to play chess. The only thing is, we didn't have a chess board. And so what I did was I grabbed the, the closest thing I could, a, a piece of cardboard. And I took a black Sharpie and a ruler, and I, I traced out lines and squiggled in every other square. And then we took pieces of orange and white paper and cut out little squares. And we wrote down the names of the pieces on each little square. You know, rook and queen and jack and pawn, not jack, a, a knight. That's a... That's a that's playing poker, you know. No, we weren't doing that. Uh, you know, all the names of, of the, maybe I shouldn't be the one teaching her how to play, but all of the pieces of the chessboard. And uh, the, the hardest part was whenever any of us would laugh, a breath would leave our lungs and send all the papers scattering, losing where we were. Oh, I think I, I, think I had the advantage. No, no, no. But the second hardest thing, most challenging thing, was Tara would keep asking, like, every game, what does the rook do again? I'd be like, all right, well, the rook can move side to side, forward and backwards, as far as they want. Now, it wasn't for a couple of weeks later that we finally broke the bank and went to Kmart and got a $5 chessboard. But then I realized something very interesting, that, that when she was able to see the pieces with 3D distinction. You know, you could see the rook is actually a castle and, and the knight is actually a horse. It changed everything. She was able to see that they were distinctly different rather than just names on a square of paper. And now, I think that that's what happens when we look at characters of the Bible. Sometimes they just seem like square pieces of paper with names written on them. But today I want to introduce the characters of our story with 3D distinction, like a castle and a horse type of distinction. So the first character of our story is named King Jabin of Canaan, who reigns in Hazor. He has overpowered the Israelites of the north for 20 years, and he's held them in painful subjection. The whole population, they're paralyzed with fear, dwelling in hopeless misery. To the Israelites, though, King Jabin seems to be some shadowy, distant figure compared to his powerful commander, Sisera. Sisera is the commander of King Jabin's forces. His name has long produced fear in Israel because of his oppression of the people, his vast army, and, of course, his 900 chariots. Of iron. So if King Jabin is the shot caller, then Sisera is the shooter. But then we've got Deborah, the Israelite prophetess, who feels called by God to speak the word of God. She's a leader of Israel, what we would call a judge, the judge that God raises up. Her name is actually associated with the Hebrew verb devar, which means to speak, and it's also associated with the noun devarim, which can be translated as bees. And then there's Barak, 
whose name means flash of lightning. He's the son of Abinoam of Kedesh, a refuge city in Naphtali in the north. He's a great and faithful Israelite warrior, but he doesn't know it just yet. And then there's Heber the Kenite. Comes from a tribe of nomads called the Kenites. The Kenites were actually descendants of Hobab, that would be uh, Moses' father-in-law. And while most of the Kenites lived in southern Judah, Heber had separated himself and moved north. His family, strangely enough, though, was able to maintain good relations between the Canaanites and the Israelites, kind of as like a neutral party. But interestingly enough, Kenite means smith, as in blacksmith. And remember, Sisera and his 900 chariots. Perhaps here Heber the Kenite was one of the blacksmiths responsible for tuning up Sisera's 900 chariots of iron. So maybe he's not so neutral after all. And then there's Jael, Heber's wife. She's the wife of Heber the Kenite. All right, let's set and go. Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidith, was a leader of Israel at that time. She would sit under Deborah's palm tree, conveniently sharing her name, between Ramah and Bethel in the Ephraim highlands, and the Israelites would come to her to settle disputes. Deborah is a type of brave individual who is present. It actually takes a lot of bravery to be present, you know? In times of dispute or conflict or calamity, it's easier to run and flee and hide and just pretend like the issue is not there, especially if it's conflict, calamity, or, or disputes. But Deborah is presently present in the present. How do I know that? She's involved. Being present means being involved. And that's what Deborah is, an involved, dispute-settling leader of Israel who's presently present in the present. I heard a story about a seminary professor who bumped into a former student of his that he hadn't seen her for a couple of months. And she was so excited about all the things that God was doing in her life. She was doing missions work. She was doing discipleship. She was doing all sorts of things. But then she concluded her summation of her entire experience with a very puzzling Quote, she, she said this, It's just sad to think that God is having to use me because a man somewhere has failed. The professor said, excuse me? I, he, he thought he misunderstood her. And she said, yeah, yeah, it's just sad that God has to use me because somewhere a good man has failed. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for being called by God to do, you know, all these things, but it's just sad that, that God had to use me, kind of like as a plan B. And the professor's like, where in the world did you get this idea? And she said, well, it comes straight from the book of Judges, from chapter 4 with Deborah, that, that God uses a good woman only when a good man can't be found. What, what are you talking about? And she said, well, that's what happens in the story, right? Barak is supposed to be the judge, but he's a wimp, and so God then has to do plan A with Deborah. And the professor's just, where did you hear this? 
Because if we actually look at this story, Deborah is established as a prophetess and as a judge long before Barak even comes into the picture. And she's the one who actually calls Barak to stand up and lead. I think it's pretty plain to see that God will use a good woman as plan A, first best, nobody failed option, even when a good man can be found. I'll say that again. I think it's pretty plain to see that God will use a good woman as the plan A, first best, nobody failed option, even when a good man can be found. That's Deborah for you, but ladies, I'm calling you out. Is that you? Is that you? Are you willing to be the plan A if God has called you to be plan A? Should we do like an altar call and stuff? Like make (laughs) guilt trip you? Like, ladies, are you ready? Are you really ready? Well, verse 6 and 7 continues with this powerful, powerful judge, Deborah. She sent word to Barak, Abinoam's son, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, Hasn't the Lord Israel's God issued you a command? Go and assemble at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 men from the people of Naphtali and Zebulun with you. I'll lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, to assemble with his chariots and troops against you at the Kishon River, and then I'll help you overpower him. That's a gutsy move there, Deb. But Deborah is the type of brave individual who's present. She's presently present in the present. And how do we know that? Deborah is focused. Being present means being focused. And that's what Deborah is. A focused, faithful plan of action creating things got to change. Leader of Israel who's presently present in the present. And I realize that in my life, when I am presently focused, when I am presently focused, and yeah, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to have an eternal perspective and view God in the future, but we still need to live in the present, right? But when I am presently focused, tasks just seem to be more manageable. I believe that people feel more loved when I'm not just like hurrying and scurrying, trying to get all these things ready for the future. When I'm actually loving the people in front of me, people feel more loved. And I have a clear insight of how I can follow Jesus with my life when I'm presently focused. And I see it in the simplest of things, like bottle feeding our little Grom, Zeke. You know, I I got a picture of him with his cool shades, Mr. Cool right there. You know, I, I could be bottle feeding him the warmest batch of fine milk. And, uh, I could be at the same time watching TV, while talking on speakerphone, while texting with one hand, while petting our dog Penny with one foot, while folding clothes with the other foot. I've got mad skills. I could multitask like no other. But am I presently present in the present? Am I involved? Am I focused? Not really. In a few moments, the bottle is squirting milk up his nose or jammed in his ear, and he's choking. But when I'm presently focused, tasks just become more manageable. People feel more loved. And also, I can figure out 
how I can best live for God. That's what I see in the life of Deborah. Focused, faithful, plan of action creating, things gotta change, leader of Israel who is presently present in the present. She sends word to Barak, and she is ready to roll. Verse 8, Barak replied to her, though, If you'll go with me, I'll go. But if not, I won't go. Deborah answered, I'll definitely go with you. Now, you can't read hesitation into her response at all. She's the brave type of individual who's present. She's presently present in the present. And how do we know that? She's ready. Being present means being ready. And that's the type of of woman Deborah is. A ready, prepared, eager beaver to take a stand for God. Leader of Israel who's presently present in the present. Now, it doesn't mean that she's the fiercest warrior in all the land. It doesn't mean that by any means. But she's involved, focused, and ready. She says, I'll definitely go with you. But she continues, however, the path you're taking won't bring honor to you because the Lord will hand over Sisera to a woman. Well, is that because Barak hesitated there? Or maybe this is just plan A. But how does Deborah even know all of this stuff? Well, she's a prophetess, and God seems to have given her a glimpse of the future, or she's just reading the signs of the times. Then Deborah got up and went to Barak to Kadesh. He summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men marched out behind him. Deborah marched with him too. Like Zena, warrior, princess. Deborah is a type of brave individual who's present. She's presently present in the present. And how do we know that? She's willing. Being present means being willing. And that's what Deborah is. She's willing to lay down her life. A willing, self-sacrificial, fearless leader of Israel who's presently present in the present. And now you know this is about the time in the message when we quit. We quit being presently present in the present. We just kind of tune out. And I'm not harping on you. I'm talking about, about me. You know, it's so easy to be present for a message or a time of worship without actually really being present, without actually really being involved or focused ready or willing. To tell you the truth, I got caught. It was a couple of weeks ago. It was uh, during the worship service, and I was up here. I think I had just prayed for the kids or something like that. And uh, I'm just standing there, and, and Foss and the band, they're all worshiping and stuff. And, and then uh, I'm just like kind of worshiping, kind of clapping, kind of singing, kind of involved, all of that. And then it was during the, the meet and greet time, the, you know, like, turn to someone and give them a big journey high five or a hug time. And there was this wonderfully nice lady who pulled me aside in the back. She grabbed me by the arm gently. And then she's like, hey, I feel like I have a word from God for you. Like, okay, cool. And she said, God wants you to be prostrate there before him, to to bow down hands and knees there before him. I thought, man, you must be reading my mind. Because you know exactly what's going on. I'm not really present in the present right now. 
I'm just kind of worshiping. I'm just kind of here, but not really. I wasn't really involved, focused, ready, willing, just kind of singing, just kind of clapping. But you know what? You can't just kind of worship God. You kind of just can't just kind of live for God. I need to be fully involved, focused, ready, and willing. Verse 11 continues. Now Heber, the Kenite, had moved away from the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and had settled as far away as Elon, Bezazah, oh, let me say this again, this is a long one right here, Bezaananim, which is near Kadesh. Okay, that seems kind of random right there, like a random insertion, but just wait. Will come into play later. Verses 12 through 14. When it was reported to Sisera that Barak, Abinoam's son, had marched up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned all of his 900 iron chariots and all of the soldiers who were with him from Herosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get up! This is the day that the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men behind him. Deborah's act of being present has actually bolstered Barak to be present, to be presently involved and focused and ready and willing. It's a contagious presence that is here bolstered in the Lord. It's the same thing. If you're on fire for God, just wait. A couple moments later, a couple weeks later, months later, years later, if you continue to stay on fire for God, maybe the people around you are going to be affected by that. As the armies are assembled, there's no wondering, where is she? She said she would be here, but she's nowhere to be found. No, there's no wondering where Deborah is because she's presently present in the present. But is that what people would say about you? Is that what people would say about me? That we would be there, that we would show up. And I don't just mean when, when it's like really tough and it's a bad time and, and we're going to be there. And, you know, no, but I mean like in bad times and good times and then normal times. Are you and I the type of people who are willing to be there? To be fully present, fully involved and focused and ready and willing. Well, Deborah's present, and her presence has bolstered Barak to be present to face this massive enemy army. In verse 15, the Lord threw Sisera and all the chariots and army into a panic before Barak. Sisera himself got down from his chariot and fled on foot, as any noble warrior might do. Barak pursued the chariots and army all the way back to Herosheth Hagoim killing Sisera's entire army with the sword. No one survived. Well, except for Awal, absent without leave, Sisera, right? Obviously, Sisera is no longer present. Obviously, Sisera is no longer involved or focused or ready or willing because, well, he's Awal, absent without leave. He's quite the opposite of Deborah and Barak. And here, our story takes a very uncomfortable and unsettling turn for the AWOL commander, the unpresent Sisera. Verse 17, Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of jail. 
the wife of Heber the Kenite. After all, it's not a random insertion. Comes up in the story here because there was peace between Hazor's king Jabin and the family of Heber the Kenite. Perhaps, remember, he was the one who was tuning up these 900 chariots of, of iron. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come in, sir. Come in here. Don't be afraid. So he went with her into the tent, and she hid him under a blanket. Cozy. Sisera said to her, Please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and hit him again. Then he said to her, Stand at the entrance to the tent. That way if someone comes and asks you, Is there a man here? You can say, no. Well, that, that wouldn't be very honest now, would it? But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent stake and a hammer. While Sisera was sound asleep from exhaustion, she tiptoed to him. She drove the stake through his head and down into the ground, and he died. Just then Barak arrived after chasing Sisera. Jael went out to meet him and said, Come and I'll show you the man you're after. So he went in with her. There was Sisera, lying dead with the stake through his head. So on that day, God brought down Canaan's king Jabin before the Israelites. And the power of the Israelites grew greater and greater over Canaan's king Jabin until they defeated him completely. Talk about hammering the point home. The author of the text sure hits the nail on the head with this one. The distinction couldn't be clearer here. There's the presently involved, focused, ready, and willing Deborah and Barak, contrasted with the AWOL, absent without leave, unpresent, uninvolved, unfocused, unready, and unwilling Sisera. But what makes Deborah and Barak so brave? What makes them presently involved and focused? What makes them ready and willing? Well, I think it's God. I think it's their relationship with God. After all, it says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The Lord Almighty is with us. 
but are we with God? Are we with the Lord Almighty? Am I present? Am I presently present in the present? Involved, focused, ready, and willing to do whatever God has called me to do. But how do I do this? How do I be present? How do I be involved or focused or ready or willing with my relationship with God or my relationship with other people? How do I actually do this? Well, I don't have the five easy steps to a new you. I don't have the five easy, pain-free, get-rich-quick steps of being present. But what I do have are five people in my life who've shown me what it looks like to be present in the simplest of ways. He'd sit there at the front of class with his silver hair slicked back, looking like some sort of a villain. But he'd physically turn his entire body to face whoever was sharing. And he would nod his head without breaking eye contact. And even if he completely disagreed with what you were saying, his presence made you feel valued. She'll greet you like you've never been greeted before. With a heartfelt smile and a bear hug that's more like a boa constrictor, squeezing all the sadness or frustration or life's just okay blandness out of you. Her presence makes you feel loved. I'll see him with his majestic beard and smile from ear to ear like he's actually really genuinely excited to see you. you know, a couple weeks ago, I saw him and his majestic beard in the Trader Joe's parking lot. And he was taking time, plenty of time, to catch up with someone. I mean, plenty of time. I went to Trader Joe's. I went to O'Reilly's Auto Parts. I went to Michael's. I went to CVS. And there he is, still at Trader Joe's, taking plenty of time to spend with someone. His presence makes you feel appreciated. She's definitely got sass. I'll give her that. But she's not afraid to immediately deal with conflict then and there. She's a type who always follows up and whenever she's got beef with somebody, she, she's quick to resolve it. Whenever she's made a mistake, she's quick to make amends. Her presence makes you feel at peace. He'll fly out some 1,500 miles to be at the most momentous occasions of my life and also the less momentous occasions of my life too. And regardless of the distance between us, he's present like a brother beside me. His presence makes you feel important. Each of these individuals in my life 
And there, I mean, I could have 500 people. But these specific individuals have learned the capacity to be present because God is present in their lives. That's what we see in the life of Deborah, God present. And the most amazing part is when God is present, when God who is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, when God is present in our lives, we actually become refuges and strengths and ever-present helps in times of trouble. That is our task as the church, as followers of Jesus. So let's ask God where we need to be more present in our lives. Lord, we come before you today. Just as we are, as people who do not have it all together, and I'm speaking about myself, maybe these folks have it all together. But Lord, we want to ask how we can be more present in our lives. Whether that means to be more focused at home or be more involved at work or be more ready and willing to come to church, to get involved, to serve, to grow, to spend time in my relationship with you, Lord. Lord, we eagerly look forward to eternal life, time everlasting with you. But Lord, we know that we have work to be done here. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to be world changers. Help us to see the people around us and love them. God, I pray if someone in here today wants to accept you, wants to be involved in your life, in the plan that you have for them, I pray they would open up their hearts. Say, Jesus, would you come in? Because you've always been there. You've always been present in my life. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. So come into my life. Be my king. I want to follow you all the days of my life. We love you, Lord, and we want to be present. In Jesus' name, amen.